out on the road Must have a code That you can live by And so Become yourself Because the past Is just a goodbye Teach Your children well Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. You're getting ready to take a road trip. Yep, going up to Cape Cod. Cape of Cod. The Cape, as they call it. That's what we're The locals, I guess. A MASH radar rally always talked about it, the Cape of Cod. MASH was a great show. It was. It got preachy at the end, but I liked it in its early days. And Yeah, it was. The show went. The show lasted longer than the Korean War, although technically, the Korean War is still going oh, on. Well, yeah, right. We're, yeah. We're, we're just winding it down. We're just winding it down. Only Donald Trump could wind it down. A lot of people think he deserves a peace prize. That's what he keeps hearing. Did you see that today? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are saying <laughs> all the sycophants around. I mean, a lot of people are saying. So yeah, who knows? Maybe who? I, well, you know what? It, I, I would. Uh, do you want to bet on that? If he gets a peace prize, yeah. I'm get, guessing he doesn't get it. But. <laughs> yeah, no. But um, we we threatened that this three-point series would spill over to our fourth one, and I think it's a very legitimate fourth one. I actually think it uh, may relate a little bit to one of our listeners uh, gave us a future suggestion to clarify our views on antinomianism. Bill thinks I am one. That's our view. No, <laughs> <laughs> That's our view. I think you. I think you play one on TV. <laughs> play many things on TV. <laughs> you play one on the podcast at times. Yeah, to give voice to that. But I actually think this topic is not unrelated to that. In part, um, uh, well, first of all, we have to be careful calling when we call Jesus Rabbi. Uh, it's not the same as the rabbinical movement that followed him. I mean, again, there are uh, there's a number of rabbis from the first century that you know people refer to him as rabbis, but. It's always important to say that the rabbinical movement, as you know, if it shapes Judaism, um, certainly throughout the late antiquity all up to modern period, was a latter development. So I think probably when we talk about Jesus as rabbi, um, master probably would be even a more accurate master, teacher, shaper. Not unlike, you know, there were all kinds of in the ancient uh, Near East at this time, in the, or Second Temple period, late antiquity. There were a lot of people walking around who were uh, who had followers around them, uh, different philosophical schools, and certainly there were learning schools within Jerusalem and other places where people gathered students around them. That's because they didn't have podcasts, because they wouldn't have to walk around. We There's, just we can be sagacious. And get followers right here without even right. leaving well, the comfort you, of our bunker. They, they could be walking around right now as they listen. To exactly. Us. That's yeah. that's that's or the, driving that's, around or running yeah. away or whatever. Yeah. So I think when we think of Jesus as rabbi, we really think of him as someone who's gathered a group of followers around him, um, who teaches them, who's shaping them. Um, so it's one part master, one part uh, mentor, one part spiritual guide. Um, but also, I guess one of the questions... It's something borrowed and something blue. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about the teaching role, um, one of the things is what exactly is the message that Jesus is conveying? Now, again, 
a big part of the message of Jesus is Jesus himself. That's certainly what Mark's gospel starts out. Mark's gospel just starts, Jesus shows up, he's baptized, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the implication is, he is the kingdom of God at hand. So, you know, I think it's very... auto Basilio, right, in yeah, Greek, or Basilia. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's easy to collapse the teachings of Jesus, particularly in some theological circles, onto his work or into his identity. But one of the questions, what exactly was Jesus trying to do in his teaching ministry? And again, it's as it comes down to us from, from the gospel records, and each of the gospels certainly have an agenda. But when you think of Jesus as rabbi, Jesus' teacher, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to my mind is the work of Jacob Neusner. And, you know, he wrote that book, A Rabbi Follows Jesus. Right. And that's, that's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yes. It's, when we, yes, when we suggested this topic. Oh, that's okay. Right. Yeah, we talked about this topic, and that was the first thing that came to my mind. Very good. So that's, that's this is word associations. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Dog. This, this is, right, right, dog. Mine. <laughs> Pizza. Uh, Zeno's. Love. Lindy. Ah, there we go. Okay, we'll stop there. Have you ever seen... We'll uh, stop by your head. Did you, there's a great <laughs> scene in Skyfall, the James Bond movie, where he does these... He does these it's a uh, great movie. This word association is like, uh, murder, employment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, in Her Majesty's service. I mean, incredible James Bond. Yeah, great, great movie. So... This is. Uh, I think I'd like to be Sherlock Holmes, but not on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting that Newster makes this point where about the dispute uh, concerning the Sabbath. Right. And put him in put him in context for people who don't. Newster is a prolific Jew- Jewish. Didn't he pass away recently? I think he did. Prolific, prolific Jewish scholar. Had many c- colleagues who were Catholics and Protestants. Very mm-hmm. respectful of Christianity. I mean, one of those bridge scholars. Bridge scholars. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just a, a preeminent figure, in, in, you know, just an intellectual giant. And he, Benedict uh, discusses his, you know, spends a good time dialoguing with his work in his first volume, his Jesus book. And he points out that he talks about the Sabbath disputation, you know, where, where, where Jesus' disciples are picking grains on the Sabbath. Right. And, Benedict says, at any rate, the question about Jesus, who he really was, and what he really wanted, as well as the whole question as to what Judaism and Christianity actually are, this is the point issue. Was Jesus in reality a liberal rabbi, a forerunner of Christian liberalism? Is the Christ of faith, and therefore the whole of faith of the church, one big mistake? And Neusner, he says, completely brushes this off. Uh, he says, as he's commenting on this point, he says, what troubles me is not that the disciples don't obey one of the rules of the Sabbath. That's trivial and beside the point. What he says is that the immediate, immediately before that, what's interesting in the, the, this in Matthew uh, eleven, he talks about the the, the so called messianic jubilee, the joyful shout. Uh, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. And then he talks about how you have uh, subsequent to that. I think this this uh, or after that the the my yoke is easy, my right. burden light. Right. And so he, he looks at, at how, why that's significant, right? Uh, uh, the, the, the Jubilof and the, and this text about Matthew 11, 20 to 30, 
he says this is not just uh, the Jewish liberalism, Jesus's liberalism over against the so-called Jewish liberalism. He says we're not dealing with moralism here, as Benedict summarizing, but with a highly theological text, or to put it more precisely, a Christological one, because it features the motif of rest and the connected motifs of labor and burden. It belongs thematically with the question of the Sabbath. The rest that is intended here has to do with Jesus. Jesus teaching about the Sabbath now appears fully in harmony with his jubilraf, his, his joyful shout, and his words about the Son of Man being Lord of the Sabbath. Neusner sums up the overall content as follows. My yoke is easy, I give you rest. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath indeed, because the Son of Man is now Israel's Sabbath, how we act like God. And, you know, he, uh, he says Jesus is not another reforming rabbi out to make life easier. No, the issue is not that the burden is light. Jesus' claim to authority is at issue. And Neusser says, Christ now stands on the mountain. He now takes the place of the Torah. I, I think that that is... I think that's a theological move that the church makes, that he takes the place of the Torah. Yeah, no, but I think Neusser, though, looking at looking at, looking the, at the apostolic testimony, says, I don't text. think it's a development. It's, you know, he's saying it, it's... It seems there, and, and you can, and this whole thing, even in Mark, were, were the motifs of yeah. uh, he teaches as one with authority. Yeah, it, no, it, it I, does. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to say first of all, I do think I think that's a very accurate portrayal of the Matthew Project. Yeah, yeah. and I also want to say that certainly the Matthew Project is an part of it is an expansion of the Mark's Mark's gospel. I mean, ninety percent of Mark shows up in Matthew. I, one of the things I do, I, I like this idea of continuity, radical discontinuity. When you talk when to talk about Jesus, because again, when I there, you know, I think there is a definite thing that Jesus does that makes the people that are theologically most close to him remarkably uncomfortable, which would be the Pharisees. And you know, there seems to be strong uh, connections between Jesus's family and, and the Pharisee party. Um, you know, if you know we. You know, I think first of all, how Mary is presented in Luke is, and that whole inner circle is the faithful, you know, the faithful remnant, uh, which may be a portrait of intertestament Judaism, you know, the, the first chapters of Luke and the kind of piety there. Um, I mean, in many ways, the Magnificat is not a Christian hymn. It is a, it is an apocalyptic Jewish hymn in many ways, if you look at it, because Jesus doesn't quite fulfill it the way Mary proclaims it, if you, if you look at it. So I think it's consistent. So I do think we have, I think Jesus arises in the, in the followers of Jesus, arise in a kind of Judaism, um, whether you want to call it reforming, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do also agree, there's a, there's a continuity. Matter of fact, Daniel Hartman, uh, I think his father said something like this before him, uh, this idea that, you know, Jesus, when he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of it is being a good Jew there. So I think there is this continuity. But I think the fact is that the teachings of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, um, you know, I think all the Gospels agree that got him in trouble. And people experiencing Jesus who had most, if you would, at stake at him being the Messiah are the ones who become his most radical Opponents. So I, I, I would I want to agree. There's continuity and discontinuity in his teaching. I, you know, uh, you, not only the Sabbath things, but um, the, like you pointed to the Mark early on in Mark. I mean, that's chapter. It's in the it's in the first chapter of Mark. That, that you know, there's already problems in chapter one of Mark. And Jesus in Mark's gospel, and let's assume that's the earliest one. And I think this is consistent with the John story as well. 
Jesus doesn't avoid confronting early in his ministry. And so he's not afraid. I mean, there's a prophetic dimension to his teaching ministry. Um, and I think that's certainly certainly part of it. So I do think, uh, you, I, you know, whatever history we can glean of how Jesus was, impa- was impacting on the ground in those moments, you do get the sense of incredible attraction and at the same time, incredible hostility and opposition. Well, yeah, and I think the historical Jesus came. That's why, like, the historical Jesus project, where you have, like, the criterion of dissimilarity. Well, if it sounds too much like the early church or too much like, you know, Second Temple Judaism, it's probably made up. But then Jesus has to be in his context, but then he's got to be different if it's authentic. I mean, these are, it's right, a, it's it, it has to be, yeah, like, it, yeah. it, 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 there has to be both continuity and discontinuity for people to be upset at the at the discontinuity. You've got to be, you've got to be like understand it. It's like uh, you know, and, and Jeff Stout's great work, Ethics After Babel. He's talking about this argument of like you know the the problem like that postmodern say that you know there's incommensurability around something like ethics, you know, between feminist ethics and Islamic ethics and Christian ethics. Or and he's like, well, no, if there was that much discontinuity, we wouldn't know we're talking about ethics and not plumbing. You know, right. like so there's like. So, I mean, we can't always substantiate philosophically no. how we can translate, but we can do it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Well, a funny thing, I, I was sitting in uh, a advanced seminar with a person who's involved in the Jesus Project. And so I asked the question, okay, all right, so let me, I just want to clarify this. So you are criticizing this part of the gospel as being not the authentic historical Jesus. I go, yes. And where do you get the criteria for what is a historical Jesus? Well, do you get it from the same gospel? And they go, yes. <laughs> I find at one point I, I said, does your does your Greek text have like little notes? In right, 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 right. <laughs> There's a little additional apparatus. To the did you bottom. did you get a did you get a version that I didn't get because I I'm I'm not following. I agree 100. percent Well, I told you a friend of mine uh, was invited to the uh, uh, the Jesus seminar and he walked away. He said, I'm pretty convinced that the historical Jesus is really the Napa Valley Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon. Of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. 
Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Oh, this is like what what you know, Schweitzer said that all the liberal lives of Jesus in the nineteenth century. If you, it's like people look into the well to find Jesus and they see their own reflection in the water. I mean, that's sort of you know. But I I do think that I well just as a aside, I I think one of the best. In the past couple of decades, historical Jesus book was Luke Timothy Johnson's The Real Jesus, where he just basically says the Christ of faith is the historical Jesus. All the sources we have right. about the historical Jesus are from the assumption that he's the Christ of faith. And so it's it, it, undoing that is is not really tenable. Uh, we had a person once there was a debate of, and uh, Dr. J. Christian Becker of Blessed Memory was um, talking with Joe Marcus, who was a junior professor. And uh, finally, Joel gets done with his presentation and goes, I am leaning now to the point where I don't think you can really say anything definitive about who the historical Jesus was. And Becker says, Dr. Becker, do you have a response? Yes. Joel, I hope you keep leaning till you fall flat on your face. I don't know about you, but it matters to me if my Lord and Savior went to the cross yelling, no, no, take somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's significant. Yeah, uh, this is it's interesting because in in Neusner's book, at which Benedict references here, he imagines himself like listening to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and then talking with the local rabbi, and he's explaining this dialogue between the rabbi. Blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> um, what did he say? He's sitting down with with you know Torah study with these Jews and a rabbi, and and he explains the things he's heard and. The rabbi Simile expounded, he says, quoting Neusner here, 613 commands were given to Moses, 365 negative ones corresponding to the number of days of the solar year, and 248 positive commandments corresponding to the parts of man's body. David came and reduced them to 11. Isaiah came and reduced them to 6. Isaiah came again and reduced them to 2. Habakkuk further came and based them on 1, as it is said, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Neusser then continues with the following dialogue. So, the master says, is this what the sage Jesus had to say? To which Neusser responds, not exactly, but close. What did he leave out? Nothing. Then what did he add? Himself. Yeah. And then Neusser, uh, Benedict's comment is on this. Is This is the central point where the believing Jew, Neusser, experiences alarm at Jesus' message. And this is the central reason why he does not wish to follow Jesus, but remains with the eternal Israel. The centrality of the of Jesus' eye in his message, which gives everything a new direction. At this point, Neutzer cites as evidence of this addition Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. If you'd be perfect, go so you haven't come follow me. Perfection, the state of being holy as God is holy, as demanded by the Torah, now consists in following Jesus. And then he talks about how Neutzer, after investigating Jesus' attitude toward three fundamental commandments, the fourth commandment, the third commandment, uh, you know, the fourth to love one's parents, the third to keep the Sabbath holy, and finally the command to be holy as God is holy. Yeah, after thinking, after looking at that, Neusner comes to the disturbing conclusion that Jesus is evidently trying to persuade him to cease following these three fundamental commandments of God and to adhere to Jesus instead. Yeah. You know, one of the things, too, I, I think um, in Matthew's Gospel, where John the Baptist is disturbed by Jesus' ministry. Yeah, right. Now, right. I, I mean, now, again, I could— that feels like a very uh, – why would you put that in there? Now, you could maybe say that Matthew put it in there to distance or to show John the Baptist being corrected by Jesus. That could be a function for that story. But it it, it doesn't ring like something I would put in. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where Paul Zoll talks about in his book, The First Christian Race, is, you know, John, like most apocalyptic Jews, is saying, not yet but soon. And Jesus 
changes that to already but not yet. So he well, so, well. so the kingdom can be breaking in. Look, the poor are the good news. But the apocalyptic thing hasn't come yet. So, well, so, I, yeah, and I also think John the Baptist is uncomfortable with Jesus being kind of shady on the pure purification stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, the how pure could John be with locusts, honey, hair shirt? I mean, you know. Yeah. John the Baptist is an amazing figure. I, I preached on that passage last week. Um, now, maybe this anticipates our future discussion. So, therefore, now let me give a proviso and then I'll, before I ask the question. I always, when people say, I, you know, I like Jesus but don't like Paul, I go, no, you don't. And I said, you like, you like the Jesus you read through the lenses of Paul's doctrine of grace and Paul's doctrine of the cross. But having said that, so what is our relationship to the teachings of Jesus then? Okay, and, and I'm very much for them. All right. I'm pro, Jesus, I'm pro teachings of Jesus right here. Good. There we go. You have it here. Bill is against. <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm the antinomian today. Exactly. Okay. Or you're the anti-Jesusian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jesuit. I'm many things, but not that. Yeah. So, so what should? What is the relationship of Jesus' teachings to the Christian life? Uh, they are well. I mean, I think that Jesus, since, since he did, you know, if he is the first Christian, I don't know if that's true or not. But go ahead. Jesus. Well, yeah, it's a provocative title, but yeah. It's, uh, but he's. He, I think what. Zola's I know what Zola's trying to do. say that there's he's emphasizing the discontinuity, right? Because he thinks that historical Jesus research of the second half of the 20th century has overplayed the continuity stuff, which, which again, yeah, it's both. And well, you, I think, you could, but it also has to be, as I told, lectured last night, it's a corrective in view of the you know, of the Holocaust and realizing, hey, we Christians have been persecuting against people of all the early church. So, I, I think the rediscovery, the fact that Jesus was a Jew, that Paul was a Jew, is. Kind of like discovering the the bloody obvious, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the heart of the whole thing about you know that would be the old Paul, that, the old Paul, that would the be old the old Paul. that would be the older Paul, the old Paul, the new Paul. Well, there's older Paul, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, I think that I I do find Newsier persuasive, and at the heart of Jesus' teachings, I would I would see things like the my yoke is easy, my burden light, and also if you lose your life. You save it, and those who save their lives try to save them. I mean, there's something about sort of the human condition. As you forgive, you shall be forgiven. Right, finding, finding. Do you, do you, do you buy that? Yeah, I, I hyperbolically. I mean, I, th- I think like he yeah, says it a lot. We yeah. pray, we pray it every week. We pray it every, well, I, you know, depending just, on your church context, not in dispensational churches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a crazy thing. Yeah. Dispensationalists pray the Lord's prayer. I thought that I thought that was old dispensation. It is. That's what I thought too. I asked him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I. So I mean. No, that's new. Dis- that's the millennium. So I think that the teaching of Jesus. Well, and also at the essence of Jesus, you know, summarizes the law as love, and so the teachings of Jesus are, at essence, like both vertical and horizontal love. Yeah. Love of God, which spills out into love of all that God has made, or the reception of the love of God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so no, I think it's it's you know, and again, that's I mean, part of the I think. On both sides of the antinomian debate, if you would, I mean, if it's all grounded, if it's all grounded in grace, um, you know, the hyper Lutherans versus the people who actually become works righteous folks. I mean, that that actually distorts what the the nature. Of the, I mean, the ground of love. If God is love, okay, then if we are to do uh, works of love, to borrow Kierkegaard's phrase. Well, then we're actually participating in the very life of the grace of God. 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. You can't really divide that. I mean, this is Paul. Like, it's not, it's not me, but Christ in me. Yeah, Christ that lives in me. Yeah, but I think, yeah, so a, so a doctrine of faith without love is an incomplete doctrine. Sure. I mean, yeah, because faith, the faith's object is the God that is love. As a source, it's both the source and the right. object. Yeah. And I think you're a frequent reminder that Jesus, Paul, or Luther echoes Jesus when he talks about, you know, when the fact that Jesus closely relates love of God and love of neighbor is something that Luther, you know, example. Yeah, and then Luther says, you know, our works aren't for God, they're for our neighbor. Right. God <laughs> yeah, doesn't, God doesn't, doesn't need, need our works, our neighbor does. God doesn't need anything we have. Yeah. He only wants one thing. What's that one thing? Well, according to last week at the prayer breakfast at the NRA, guns. <laughs> guns. <laughs> he wants my guns. Yeah. He loves my guns. Guns. So, okay. And and next is... year, I've been invited to do uh, Cat of Nine Tales, Why Jesus Loves Them. <laughs> this is something I find very interesting. Um, my friend Chaim Simon wrote this great piece on um, basically the legal theory of Jesus. When He talks a little bit about Paul. And he talks about how um, Paul sees in Jesus— rightly, this distinction of letter and spirit. And he talks about legal theory of the decades and how you could put jurisprudence um, left being spirit. He, he has a bunch of columns on the left being spirit and on the right letter. And so on left, you've got substantive justice versus on the right procedural justice. You've got equality of income on the one side versus equality of opportunity on the right. If fairness ex post versus fairness ex ante on the right. You've got equity on the left versus law on the right, and, and then justice of the case versus rule of law, living interpretation versus originalism and textualism, substance over form, legal functionalism over legal formalism, and so on. He has a few others. And he says what's interesting um, about this is that, you know, is that the rabbis are much more like the right column. That's how they read it. And Jesus and Paul— So you're, you're talking about the later rabbinical movement. Yeah, the later rabbinical movement. And he says, in the current political landscape, Jesus' legacy is most commonly associated with the rule of law, limited role of judges, rule over standards, text over context, and procedural rather than substantive fairness. While these commitments are expressed most vociferously in the context of constitutional interpretation, they extend to the reading of statutes and all the way down to the reasoning employed in ordinary criminal commercial cases. It is no small irony that the groups who champion Jesus tend to align themselves more closely with the interpretive project of the Talmudic rabbis than with Jesus' approach to the law of the Torah and law more generally. Similarly, those most likely to deny that Jesus has anything to teach us about American law may inadvertently be bearing witness to Jesus' conception of the law. <laughs> that is so brilliant. It's like basically the conservative Christians who are always talking about originalism and kind of basically don't have much in, in, in common with the legal theory of Jesus and no. Paul. <laughs> no, nope, I would. Uh... No, that is a great sense of humor. That is a dense article. Followed, by, you know, well, like concluded with a very, very humorous conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Jeff Sessions said, all right, now the baby Jesus, he can come in. <laughs> but Mary, we're going to have to put you somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You don't belong here. Yeah. Well, okay. I think um, so. It's, I think, uh, it's such a, it's such a rich and deep topic, but I, I think it's uh, the, I, I again, I do think like this continuity discontinuity uh, because again, <clears throat> sometimes <clears throat> excuse me, we emphasize how many the majority of Jews did not follow the Jesus movement in the first century. What's remarkable, either on the day of Pentecost or shortly thereafter, there was a large party of Pharisees that were part of that group. Yeah, and yeah. and one would argue that uh, um, eventually the leader of the Jerusalem 
church is not Peter or John. It ends up being James. James, yeah. James the Just, who, uh, which was given that title by Jews. Yeah, and we can and we can agree. I think that Jesus has probably much to teach the human race. Yeah, you know, when in doubt, maybe read the Gospels. Amen to that. Take care, everybody. I sit two stories above the streets It's awful quiet here since love fell asleep There's life down below me though The kids are walking home from school Some long ago when we were taught That for whatever kind of puzzle you got You just stick the right formula Solution for every fool I remember the time When I came so close to you Sitting me skipping my class And running from school And I bought you that ring Cause I never was cool What makes me think I could start being slated The hardest to learn Was the least complicated So what makes me think I can start Two stories above the street It's awful quiet here since love fell asleep There's life down below me though Other kids are walking home from school I remember the time when I came so close with you Sent me skipping my class and running from school What makes me think I could start being slated? The hardest to learn was the least complicated. What makes me think I could start being slated? The hardest to learn was the least complicated. The least complicated.